Welcome to Art Works and Therapy. I'm here with Dr. Arthur Robbins on February 22nd, 2021. Now, you've asked me to speak about my life work, actually. So I like to just start and tell you about it. Thank you. Yeah. My whole life work has been dedicated to putting together art and psychology. Uh, it is no coincidence that I insist on people calling me art rather than author, since art is so central to me. I've written this in other places, but when I first started out in this field, I knew that I, there was a search going on in me to understand what my life was about. I came from a family where I had four uncles and aunts who at that time were very unique. They were analysts. And this goes all the way back to 1950. But I never knew them until my wedding. My mother kept me away from my father's side of the family, for men were seen as evil and dishonest. And from her point of view, she kept me in the backyard in my sandbox. Well, I contented to be the outsider in my world. That was the place that I build my own individual creations, tunnels, forts, all places to fortify myself against a frightening and intrusive world. And then the door opened up, and that was the language of the unconscious. In the meantime, I had been exposed to uh, personal therapy, and in the sessions that proceeded, I had to revisit the sandbox to discover something that was a hunger in me, the art. But strangely enough, it was not the sand that I wanted, it was the fire of where the sand came into my life, the sandbox. Because uh, it has a lot to do today. Well, it's excavating. Yes, I was excavating. I was playing with the fluidity of sand and moving it in different places in a contained space. Well, I needed that contained space and psychoanalysis was that space that gave me a frame. But art and learning how to sculpt gave me a freedom. Part of my art was going into a junkyard, getting as dirty as could be, collecting old junk pieces, and weld them into a new form. Now, in 1987, you wrote the artist as therapist. And that right. one of your artworks was featured on the cover. Embraced 
people's clients' junk parts and help them see you or recreate? Do you, do you take that into the humanness of people? Certainly, certainly. I look for fragments and pieces. And today, a certainly a characteristic uh, part of our culture is chaos. We are living in places where we live in fragments. We struggle to put them together. There is a force around us that uses chaos to destroy form rather than letting something emerge out of chaos. In your early years working as a therapist, you, you've been marked or pegged as someone who's very uh, provocative. You know, yeah. how, how has that served you over the years? And is there anything you would like to have changed about your relational process with clients and students alike? Certainly, uh, that uh, label has followed me. And maybe it's justified. Provocative in my way of thinking is asking questions and looking at things that provoke, stimulate. So asking questions that are coming from the deep unconscious, that are not socially always appropriate, uh, stir things up. Over the years, I've had to struggle with being on top of that rather than it running away with me. Since breaking boundaries, going into the unknown, it's been a characteristic life force for me. What was my way of working, even 10 years ago, is different than it is today. I'm a different person, I'm 91 years old. I was young yet at 80. Uh, but at 50 or 30 or 35, I was a very different person. And so when I was younger, I used many, many of the concepts of psychoanalysis regarding resistance, regarding defenses. Uh, I certainly respect people's defenses much more hmm. uh, as life survival mechanisms. Uh, my underlying experience is twofold. I see myself as both a healer and a psychotherapist, and it's a continuum. And I define healing as working with energy that is pre-symbolic. As I move into symbolism, I am moving much nearer the unconscious. And there is a hunger today, not for therapy, but for healing. And obviously we need both. But quite often, healing 
takes place without words. And the most important vehicle for healing is the therapist. Before I can work with patients, I have to be able to be grounded and open and move into the patient space, even though it may be closed. To, and all this is on a very nonverbal level. Now you may ask yourself, what has this got to do with art? In many respects, art can be a deeply spiritual experience. I respect people who utilize such notions as sublimation or um, traditional ways of art therapy. And they have a right to develop their way of practice on their terms and in their that fits their personality. But what is right for me is understanding the whole element of putting together pieces a la sculpture in a new form and using the space in between therapist and patient as the place of creation. And in that space, two people, therapist and patient, have their fields of energy touching, merging, coming together. Yeah. And this is a very osmosis, nonverbal experience. And very intimate. It's as intimate as you can get. And it starts by focusing on the body but going past the body boundaries. It is feeling and experiencing a rhythm of energy. And energy, as I said, is defined as movement. We can see it in electronic particles moving. It is light, it is almost formless, and moving in that direction with another person two fields become one. And as two fields become one, the healing and rebalancing of the patient's field becomes part of the treatment process. And so what happens is that when we have trauma, and there's plenty to go around today. The energy field stops. It gets constricted. It becomes blocked. You get flatness. You get emptiness. My job is to take that in. Maybe I will use a transitional object rather than a relationship. That means some form of art. Art is not limited by the material. You have to be deeply connected to when the person has too much. When the person needs a switch in modality, uh, 
when uh, things get blocked in the middle of something and how to uh, unblock it, how to rebalance the field. And rebalancing the field is an important part of healing. And it's well articulated for those listeners. In 1994, you wrote a multimodal approach to creative arts therapy. And that's, yes. that's what you're, you're touching on absolutely here. Some people need a frame. They're all over the place. Uh, some people need stimulation, but in a very organized way. Some need color and affect. Others have had too much of effect. You're kind of looking at the centers of energy and how they have been disrupted. I, I, I am curious about, since we're talking about this nonverbal level and this, this more of a particle or energy level, what about invisible art making? Now, this is a weird thought, but like, have you ever had sessions where you ask a client to imagine what they would make if they had the materials in their hands to actually, you know, uh, without actually getting the canvas out, so to speak. Absolutely. I don't want to be limited by any material. And so we will imaginatively participate on many different levels of consciousness and life's life biography. In the session, I often play with patients going back to another life. I still remember one patient who I constantly met her in Vienna. And it was the 1880s. And we just went into talking in another period of time. So unless you have built that reservoir of trust, it's very difficult for patients not to be scared or frightened or overwhelmed. So you build up to that. You don't just introduce it without making sure you've got a decent relationship that they can rely on. I see. And I think that being able to travel with someone in that way is so rich with fantasy. Where, where does improvisation come into play with you and your work? I, I often don't know what I'm going to say next. People ask me, uh, did you think about this to begin with? And uh, frankly, no. What happens, it comes up and builds right up and emerges right in a session without my knowing why it emerged or how it emerged. But in the play, something goes on that surprises both of us. Uh, well, this, I think, approaches the art form that changes not only the inanimate to the animate, but the animate 
becomes bigger than life. It goes into the universal. It goes into the spiritual. Mm. It goes past the boundaries of reality. The one most major thing that I hold from learning from you as being one of the last classes that you ever taught at Pratt, you so uh, proudly abandoned the syllabus, looking at us all and, and said, well, what's happening for you all now in this room? Do you think it's, it's because of all those years that you spent in the sandbox that you are able to be so strong in that way to facilitate whatever might come? First of all, from the ability to both build an art form and destroy it, mm. to not be so worried about the fragility of things, to, um, to learn about how I can transform pain into something positive. That started very young, learning bits and pieces about the creative process and its curative aspects so that uh, my life development has been uh, partially determined by building up a resource of how to use myself creatively, letting go, building new things up, and most important, having teachers who were models of strength, of safety, and security. I learned group supervision in, in my own unique way from a pioneer named Ruth Cohn. She was a very important teacher who, by the way, I hated because she reminded me of my mother. But damn it, I took in so much from her. It, it is awesome. And so many teachers, my analysts, my supervisors, my son, my daughters, uh, my wife, who loves healing and is a dancer. And I might add, we were very body people when we were younger and met on the dance floor and would virtually uh, get connected through movement and dance, which both of us loved. And if anyone was an important teacher to me, it was my wife, who, uh, who mirrored me, who gave me a look at myself in a very non-judgmental way. How she tolerated me, I don't know. But she had so much love in her background that I started to respect myself. I would say she was my first therapist. I'm big on names and their origins. And the way you've been talking about art making and facilitating mediums as an art therapist and having the root word art as your name, do you have a story about why 
your parents selected Arthur for your name and how much unconscious or conscious personal influence would you say Art or Arthur has had on the progression and passion for you generating so much influence in our field? I would say that uh, art was a part of rebirth of me. Um, in my family of origin, I was an outsider and someone who was seen as nothing good was going to happen to him. And yet there was a healthy part of me that refused that label that was superimposed on my life spirit. I still recall giving my bar mitzvah speech. I saw my mother in the audience holding her hand over her head and I knew what she was thinking. Oh, is he going to make a fool out of me? And I remember it was a crucial point that I say, I damned about going to follow your fear, your projection. And it was my first speech that I gave and discovered the power of my voice. Mm. And later on, that power of my voice was extremely important to becoming a teacher. Uh, Teaching was my vehicle that I learned a good deal from. Um, when we started out the art therapy program, I didn't know what art therapy was. We invented it as we went along. Uh, we didn't need a syllabus today. You need a syllabus and God knows what to be approved. And even then, I made up syllabuses so everybody was happy and then did my own thing. But uh, it is the here and now, being alive and meeting people, that I learned to trust that what was inside of me was not evil, not bad, and that I could meet people and indeed develop slowly over the years a frame of working. That frame, the insights, kept on changing. Today, I cannot long, because my muscles no longer can do the job of sculpting. I work with tissue paper, Modge Podge, Cray Paws, and acrylic paint. But you know, today, all work is done on Zoom. I hated computers. I understand that if we didn't have Zoom, I wouldn't be speaking to you. Thank God I got a helper who helps me navigate uh, the computer because kids today learn computers from the time they're virtually born, they learned something about the computer. I, at the age of eight, late 80s, started to learn about the computer. 
Um, I was wondering if you knew about the, the Zoom has a, a whiteboard option, which is like a digital canvas. There are limits to the newness of language that I could learn. I can appreciate what you do. I could enjoy what you do. But it's harder for me to participate because the new language has its challenges for me. And we're, we're coming up to a break. Yeah. And what you've said thus far has been absolutely inspiring, totally in line with what I had hoped. So this and a lot more to come with Dr. Robbins after this quick break. NPAP was founded at the end of World War II. Our strong foundation in Freudian theory was translated into a listening with a third ear perspective. Throughout many of these 70-some years of NPAP's life, Art Robbins has been a glue, a rock, for generations of students. His counter-transference groups are laboratories where we've practiced our skills. He's been our teacher, our guide, our spirit of psychoanalysis. We thank him. He has kept us honest. So we're back with Dr. Arthur Robbins. And I was just so curious. I, I don't want to leave off one of the most important books. And that was in 1998, The Therapeutic Presence. I say this because in all the work I've been doing, both digital, video, green screen, I hold dear the work and the writing that you did and just that one aspect of kind of just being able to hold the space for for both yourself and the client but also just to be aware and to be and to be present i would have to uh, refer to one of the most important pioneers of psychoanalysis winnicott Define therapy as play. And when patients cannot, when one party or the other cannot play, the object is to help them get to play. And play really, in his terms, is not just having fun. It was one of sharing the unconscious. And he wrote a book that since you work, John, with children, you may have come across, and that is therapeutic consultations with children, where he would go into and work penetrating diagnosis to what? And it became very clear to me that Winnicott became one of my more inspiring teachers and laid the foundation, I think, for my notions around therapeutic presence. But there are people who emphasize healing. There are people who emphasize psychotherapy. I'm trying to put healing and psychotherapy together and psychology and art together. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to amalgamate many different forces. So therapeutic presence, yes, uh, is probably the hallmark 
or who I am today. Mm. That unless you're present, something needs to be done so that you too can do the nonverbal work. Uh, so that presence in my uh, frame is integrating spirituality or energy work and psychotherapeutic work. Well, you've got Maslow, who at the top of the pyramid is right. awareness, spirituality, awakening. People hold on to one framework as the only framework. Mm. Uh, they all become tribal, as I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Gestaltists, Maslonians, New Age, everybody becomes part of a particular tribe, sometimes to the exclusion of others. Okay. But I try to kind of truly uh, break into that by discouraging anybody to imitate me. And I've demonstrated that when you try to imitate me, it comes off awful. So you Not take what you can from your teacher, but there's a core of you that must grow in your own direction rather than finding a role that defines you, you follow your soul. Whereas many people follow a role that limits who they are. Like an art therapist must work with graphic material. That's bullshit. But not for many, for many that's not so. Well, that's the difference uh, between creative arts therapy and expressive arts therapy, right? There's an right. openness. Right. But you're entitled to use art in your way. If it works for you, fine. Uh, my job is to <clears throat> expose people to a way of working, but they'll take what they want from me. I'm not trying them. I'm trying to inform, but not indoctrinate. It's a very tricky line with a teacher, not to indoctrinate, but to give a climate where people take with what they want and what they need. What you've articulated today about even being at 12 and having that that break and finding your voice and you've never abandoned that. No, no, but it is a hallmark of art to transform. And what was destructive, I rediscovered the love and health in it. That you cannot go in life with a grudge or hate and think that uh, that transforms. There has to be somewhere, even though you have been injured and hurt and depressed or what, and rageful, ultimately you make your peace and find love as well as anger. But love which means being part of the world, of not having a kind of energy block 
that stops the transformation at being part of something universal. Tell me about how giving back to the next generation of art therapists is important to you. Well, I'll tell you, you mentioned one program that I started that I have not a big affiliation with, and that is IEA, Institute of Expressive Analysis. And that is converting psychoanalytic principles into an art form. Hmm. And like everything else, you learn that things never remain the same. That things change. New people take over. They inevitably put their stamp on things. And so what IEA stands for in terms of the people who are not and now in charge is certainly different from where, where it all began. And so this new home evolved into something different. It still has people there who believe in some of the same principles I do. Unless we have that, we've got a real struggle to keep this planet together. As we're kind of coming to time here, I was wondering what your thoughts are about yourself. I know there's a lot of NPAP lectures on aging. Since my time is limited, at least in this form, and I'm not quite sure what happens next since I'm not there. Time is very important to me. Uh, I'm more impatient to uh, getting down to what is real and important. I don't want my time wasted as much. I don't have time to waste. Um, so as I get older, I have a number of different experiences. They give me an overview of life that contributes to some degree of a reflective wisdom. I also have a respect more than any other time for people's differences, for people who have a right to be who they are. I also understand that there are destructive forces as well that we must deal with if we are to survive. Even though I struggle with real physical loss in terms of mobility, in terms of going outside my home, of sharing with people today, I do have the luxury of having my own internal universe expanded. Now, this doesn't mean that it happens to all older people. Many are so governed by laws that uh, it, it overcomes them with trauma and depression and death. But many others are able to find some solace, though I've lost the power of my body, the here and now, 
or the body that gives me boundaries, right? I gain access to something bigger and larger than myself. And uh, that I believe is a gift of getting older in spite of all the losses that inevitably come. Well, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to organize some of my thoughts, some of which I certainly have put down in books and other videotapes. But you've given me a chance to offer an overview of a life work and a life experience. And that goes a long way in terms of giving meaning to myself, my history, and how I become who I am today. Well, I'm just going to close out here by saying thank you to Dr. Arthur Robbins. I'd also like to thank Sandy Robbins, who I've talked to on the phone many times to get in touch with Art, Alice from NPAP, uh, Jessica Kingsley Publishers for putting out many of Arthur's ideas over the years, and Melissa Diaz for coming up with the name for Artworks. I just wanted to thank you and hope that Dr. Robbins offered you some valuable insight into therapy, analysis, the world at large, and thanks for listening.